it feels to me it feels like the the lead up to Christmas is longer this year than than previous years maybe it's because was it last year that the restrictions were lifted at just before Christmas so there wasn't much of a lead up but um, it certainly feels that there's a lot of expectation and um, we're going to look at a passage now which in a sense is a lead up to Christmas but also um, <clears throat> is uh, one of expectation um, much much broader expectation so, so if we turn to Luke chapter 1 start in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Luke is basically giving a, his account of um, the life of Jesus. And he's writing to this man, Theophilus. Most people think it's, a, it's an actual person, Theophilus, who was, who was a Gentile. Um, some say it, was, it represents the church, but most people think he was an actual person. And we know that, that Luke was a doctor and um, he gives, as he said, a very orderly account, a very researched account. He wasn't one of the disciples, but he had, did a lot of research into the events uh, surrounding the life um, of Jesus. We start off not with an account of Jesus, but with an account of the birth of, of John the Baptist. Let's go to, to verse 5. <clears throat> there, were in those, there, were, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Of, of, of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, but he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until today these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their own time, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So we have here a very, a very human story, but also obviously a very important story in the, um, the narrative in, of history, of God's uh, work on earth from the, from the beginning, from Adam through Jesus right up to now, a very important point in time. <clears throat> It's been 400 years since uh, the Old Testament, the last um, revelation in the Old Testament, the last prophecies in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Malachi, until now. And there had been a long silence in between, an uncomfortable silence, if you like, between God and his people, Israel. 400 years where there was no prophecy recorded, um, uh, no communication, obvious communication between God and his people. And of course, the Israelites were in a very dark place. Um, their, their land, they had returned from exile, from Babylon, um, and they, they you know, were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, they were building the city, rebuilding the temple. And yet, um, they were in a dark place because many had come. We had Antiochus and Epiphanes had come and desecrated the temple. And then we, we had the, the, the Romans coming and ruling over uh, the land of Israel. So there was still a lot of darkness, if, we, if you like, in, in, in Israel. Many of, of course, many of the, the religious leaders of Israel were essentially in, in cahoots with the, with the, the Roman rulers. Um, they were using their power to, to curry favor with the Roman rulers. And so Israel as a nation, both physically and probably spiritually, was, was quite far from God and far from the purposes of God. And yet, at the same time, there was this great hope, the hope of the Messiah, the deliverer, would come to Israel and would deliver um, the, the people uh, from, from, from their enemies. And there would be this messianic rule 
of, of Israel. They would rule as a nation and their God would be with them and they would be a holy people um, in all the earth. But that certainly hadn't happened. We had 400 years of, of darkness, essentially. And we zoom in on the, the particular <clears throat> story, the life story of, of um, Zacharias and Elizabeth, two faithful servants of God. Both of them were, were Levites. So they had no physical inheritance, shall we say, in the land of Israel. Uh, the, their inheritance was, was the Lord. And, and um, Zacharias uh, was uh, one of the Levites, not all of the Levites, but one of the Levites who was called to minister uh, with incense before, before the Lord. And so it was a very privileged um, and an honor to, to do this. And even though he had this honored and elevated position, um, and his wife, he, the, the Levite priests were commanded to marry an Israelite, a virgin, a, 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 a virgin Israelite. But not only was Elizabeth a, a, a virgin Israelite, she was a Levite as well. So there was special air of holiness, if you like, over, over this family. However, there was also shame over them because they were childless. It doesn't say, it doesn't say what, age, what age they were, um, but most scholars, theologians, believe that uh, Zacharias was, was of, a, of a good age. Um, and there was, there, was no, there was no retirement plan for, for priests. They, they worked right until, um, until they dropped. So most people believe he was of, of a good age and they were both of a good age. And, and certainly when you, when you read the text in his, his Zacharias's unbelief, shall we say, that, that they would have children, um, it, I think it's a fair assumption to say that they were both very old. So even though they were seen as, as blameless, not without sin, but blameless in that they were faithful uh, to God and they're seen in society as, you know, upstanding. There was this question mark over them because they were childless and often it was assumed, usually wrongly, that the reason that they were without children was because um, they had some un unknown sin in their life and that God was, was punishing them for, for some unknown sin. And so aside from the, the human impact of not having children and wanting to have children, there was also this, if you like, a societal shame uh, that they didn't have any children. All the more so in Israel because the, the promises of God that the nation of Israel would, would expand and, and multiply and that the Messiah in particular would come out of Israel. There was always a great hope that your child uh, would, would be, you know, have some role in the messianic um, purpose. Although in this case, they, you know, they were Levites, so the, the Messiah was going to come from, from the, the, tri the, the tribe of Judah. But nevertheless, there was a great, it was a great scene, it was a great blessing for, for you to have children. 
And so even though they were righteous before God, walking in, 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 in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, but they had no child. Oh, sorry, and it says they were both advanced in years, but we don't know how, how old uh, they were. And so we have, as I said, this big story of, of Israel and God's purpose in, in, in the world, how he's going to uh, bring his kingdom. And then we have this very human story of Simon, or Zacharias and um, Elizabeth um, having no, no children. And it's so often the way that God works his revelation in our lives, or in his revelation and his will through human stories, through sometimes human tragedies, that God uses these situations, these points of crisis, to expand his kingdom. And so, as I said, Zacchaeus, his, his role was to burn incense before the Lord. And there was a, <clears throat> here was, he had one, basically he had one, one opportunity in his life where he was going to go in to the holy place to burn the incense. So there was, lots were taken and, and you know, if your name was called, you were going in. And not, it, wasn't, it wasn't a certainty that you would go in. Um, but if your lot was called, you would go in once to, to burn incense. And the, and the incense would be burned in the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. And the incense was burned with the fire taken from uh, the, the altar of burnt offering. And it was very, it was a very, um, as I said, uh, and it was an honor uh, to go in. And this, if you like, was the pinnacle of Zacharias's service as a priest, his career, the pinnacle of his career, almost of his life, he was going in to represent Israel and to burn the incense before God. I was trying to calculate how many times the, this sacrifice had, was, had taken place since if you like, the end of, of Revelation, not Revelate, the book of Revelation, but since the, the end of, of the, between the Dark Ages, so we call it, it was 400 years. So it was 400 years, it was done every day, every night. You're talking about 30,000 times that the incense would have been sacrificed, would have been done. And so he's burning the incense, and what happens? His lot, was felt, his lot fell to burn the incense. And everyone was outside waiting for him. He went in. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And as is so often in the case, what happens? The human is afraid. To meet the angel, they're afraid. And the angel will always, well, I think almost always, say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And um, obviously, we're, you know, if we're to encounter an angel, it's something from completely not this world. So it's, you know, it's going to take us back. And I think it does speak of the holiness of God, just how there's no way we can, if you like, bridge that gap. This is an eternal being representing God. 
But the angel says, do not be afraid, for your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, there's much debate about what was the prayer? What was the prayer that was heard? On a surface reading of it, you would say, well, the prayer was that they would have a son because they didn't have a son, they didn't have a child and, you know, they're old in age and so presumably they were praying and praying that God would, would give them a son. And that was a very natural thing to assume. <clears throat> However, it is worth bearing in mind that the incense itself represented essentially a prayer. It was, it was like a prayer to God and and uh, if you turn to Psalm 141. David's uh, prayer, or David's Psalm, he says in, in verse 2, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so it was, and we see in Revelation as well, that the prayers of the saints are like incense, they're filling the bowls, uh, the bowls of incense. And so he was representing, if you like, Israel, and he was representing um, the, the, the cry of, of Israel that, that God would uh, deliver them, that God would uh, bring redemption from from their enemies, and that he would restore um, the, the, the nation of Israel to, to its glory, and that the Messiah would come. So there's kind of two different views as to what this prayer was. Was it the prayer for, for the baby, or the son, or was it the prayer for Israel? <clears throat> some, some Jewish scholars say that when they went in, they were actually praying for the salvation of the whole world. So it's an even grander prayer. But it certainly seems <coughs> that it was connected. And we see the response. It was connected not just with um, praying for a son, but in praying for the redemption of Israel, the, the deliverance of Israel uh, from, from their enemies. And his name was going to be called John. John means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And so God was being gracious to Zacharias and to um, Elizabeth. But he was also going to be gracious um, to Israel, but also gracious to the whole world in, 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 in Jesus' coming. And this uh, son was going to herald the coming of, of, of Jesus. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this uh, son, John, was going to prepare the way for the Lord. And we know that he was going to call Israel to repentance. 
And it wasn't just a, you know, go back to do the law, go back and, you know, observe the law. It was a repentance, a genuine repentance, a turning around um, in their hearts, in people's hearts. And he was going to come in the power of Elijah. And we also see that he wasn't going to have any wine or fermented drink. And this is very like um, the vow of the Nazarite. Some people think this is the vow of the Nazarite where they wouldn't cut their hair and they wouldn't drink any wine and they wouldn't touch any um, dead bodies, that they would take this vow. And the parallels, if you like, are with Samuel, as well as Elijah, with Samuel, because we know Samuel uh, was dedicated by Hannah, who, who herself was barren, but she dedicated um, Samuel to, to the Lord's work, to the, to the temple. And, and essentially, uh, he took the vow of, of a Nazarite. And he came before David, the Messiah, or the sort of Messiah, Messianic king for Israel to deliver them from the Philistines. And he, he anointed David um, as king. And we see that John, we know that John, at the, well, he didn't anoint Jesus. He was there at the anointing of Jesus of the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. And so this young man who is, who is uh, this, this son, is a very, very significant uh, person and it would, be, would have been very clear to all that this, this was a prophet from God and this was a very important moment in the history of Israel. And yet, despite, um, despite the fact that there's an angel appearing, despite the fact that he's a, he's a priest and he's going into the holy place, an angel appearing in the holy place and he's a priest and he would have known the promises of God that the Messiah would come, he doubted. How shall I notice? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Very human thing to do, isn't it? To, to doubt, even though you know the truth, and even though he was in the he was in the holy place, and there's this angel appearing before him, he still doubted. Like, what more evidence do you need? And the angel answered and said to him, "I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God." When he said he was Gabriel, no doubt Zacharias would have known straight away the significance of that because Gabriel appeared, of course, to Daniel <clears throat> twice in the book of Daniel and particularly in, in chapter 9 where he, uh, he prophesied about the Messiah was going to come. And so he knew this was a very significant... Uh, he, he didn't really need to say any more than that. But as we know... Due to his unbelief, he's, he's made dumb. And he's probably made deaf as well, because we see later on that, that the, the people had to, had to make signs to him. So he's probably dumb and deaf, um, because he didn't believe. So the people waited, they lingered. They thought it should have been quite a quick um, exercise to do, the incense, but he was staying in a long time. So they thought he must have seen a, a vision. A vision. Um, especially when he remains uh, speechless.
Then if we go forward to uh, verse 57, we see the fulfillment of um, the birth of John the Baptist. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbours and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise a child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came upon all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was upon him. Um, I just <laughs> just want to relate a, a little story. Um, I only thought of it really this morning. Uh, when our uh, youngest Abraham, when he was born, um, I had felt the Lord had, had told me to call him Abraham. I didn't hear a voice, but I just felt Abraham was the name he should be called. And But then when I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe... My dad, my dad was very old at the sta- that stage and he, he didn't have long left, a bit like Zacharias. I felt maybe, you know, maybe we should call him Harry. That was my dad's name. And uh, so I told Audrey about this and she said, yeah, yeah, maybe Harry, Harry, maybe Harry. I said, we wait till we see when he's born, what he looks like. And the, the morning he was born, I'll never forget it. I looked at him and he said, he was the spit of my dad. He never looked like him since, <laughs> but that morning he was the spit of my dad. So I decided, oh, he's Harry. And um, it never sat with me. It just, I kept trying to call him Harry. I just couldn't call him Harry, and it never sat with me. And uh, <clears throat> fortunately, um, you didn't, unlike here, where the circumcision happened after eight days and you had to name the baby, it was, you know, the birth cert, you, it was about five or six weeks before we got around to doing the birth cert. But I do remember praying with Audrey one night, and um, she said, are you glad you called Abram, Abram, and uh, I said, uh, no, actually, no. or Abram, uh, so you're going to call it Harry, Harry, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm not actually, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't sit with me, and uh, she said, you know, she says, twice, she said, twice, wasn't it, I think once when you were changing the nappy, um, she felt God say, she heard God say, his name is Abraham, his name just like here his name is John it's like that's his name no messing okay so fortunately we hadn't we hadn't done the birth cert so his name is Abraham and uh, well we haven't looked back since but it was so significant that God was calling him John because he was saying the Lord is gracious and this was an era this was if you like we're about to see a, a prophecy that is the last, if you like, prophecy in the Old Testament, so to speak, and the first in the New Testament. 
and the prophecy of, of, of Zechariah. But it's ushering in a new era, an era of God's grace, an era of God's mercy. And John was going to bring many to repentance, but he wasn't able to go the next step. He wasn't able to give people victory over, over the enemy, victory over sin, but he was able to do, bring the first step, call people to repentance. And it's the same with, with the law. We know the law can show us, convict us of, of, of our sin, but it, it ultimately cannot save us from our sin. Verse 67, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Since the world began. So we, we can even see it back in, in Genesis Chapter 3. Where the Lord says, Because you have done this, you are more cursed than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust. This is about the serpent. And all the days of your life I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. But it was a prophecy. It wasn't a prophet, so to speak. But even from then, God had prophesied that Jesus would come and bruise the head of the serpent. And right then, through, through Noah, through um, Abraham, now that prophet, those prophecies were going to be fulfilled. As he spoke in the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So God promised Abraham. He promised him descendants and he promised him an inheritance in the land. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So the, the, the prophecy, the, the prayer of thanksgiving that Zacharias gives is not initially about his son. He's not giving thanks for his son. He's giving thanks because God is fulfilling the prophecies that started from the time the world began that he was going to send a deliverer. He was going to send a redeemer. But then he goes on, and you child, that's John, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins to the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts in the day of manifestation of his manifestation to Israel. And so John was there not to bring salvation. He wasn't going to bring salvation, but bring the knowledge of salvation. He was pointing to Jesus. He was telling people that they needed to repent, and he was pointing to Jesus, but he couldn't ultimately bring salvation. And salvation could not come from the Levite um, tribe. Salvation could not come from the law, but it would point to Jesus, the author and perfecter of salvation, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it was to usher in a new era, an era of grace. John said, John meaning the Lord is gracious and of mercy. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. So day spring, another kind of meaning of day spring is the rising sun. The rising sun. And many have said, or some people have said that John was like the bright morning star before the, the rising sun. And so he was the, the first sign that God was ushering a new era of grace and mercy. And it was in a time of darkness that the rising sun, the sun of righteousness, would rise with healing in his wings. What a beautiful analogy it is to see a, a sun rising. What's the, they say the darkest hour is right before the dawn. The darkest hour is right before the dawn. And Israel was in this situation of great darkness. And then we see John being born, the first sign that the, the, light was, the light was going to shine. Many of us um, go through difficulties in life where we think, this is just too much. There's no hope. Just, I mean, there may be some particular issue that just, I, I just can't seem to solve. It's just always there. And, and we kind of almost give up hope. We, we, we stop believing a bit, a bit like uh, Zacharias. We stop believing. And yet we still, we're still praying. We're still praying. We're still offering our incense before God um, on a daily basis. God sees the sacrifice of prayer. He sees the sacrifice of the morning prayer, the evening prayer. He sees it. And as I said, it's often in personal situations that God brings his personal crises that God can bring his kingdom, the advancement of his kingdom. And God has brought in a new era of grace and mercy for we can bring our prayers and our prayers are not 
the, the, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is, is avails much and is powerful and effective. But our righteousness comes from the sacrifice of Jesus. And the incense that was offered uh, was with the fire that came from the burnt altar. It was holy because of the burnt altar. And our prayers, God hears our prayers because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, not even necessarily literally in Jesus' name, but when we pray um, under the authority of Jesus, God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers and he wants to bring, he wants to have mercy and he wants to have grace upon us. And we may be in a, in a, in a, in a period of darkness where we, we may be losing hope. And that's a very human and natural thing to do, is to lose hope. But God wants us to come back into that holy place, offer our incense before him, offer our incense before him in faith and believe that he is a God who who redeems, that he is the day spring. And it may be that you, the struggle for you may be, it may be a sin in your life that you, you just keep sinning. You can't, you don't have victory over that sin. But God wants us to give victory that will be saved from the hand of our enemies. John could only point towards uh, the Savior. He could call to repentance, but he couldn't actually give victory over the sin. But Jesus can, because he has defeated sin and death. So there may be a, there may be a sin in your life that you just, you just you keep struggling with, and you, you can't overcome it. And you can't, but Jesus can. Don't give up hope that this is impossible. You can overcome that sin uh, with the power of of the deliverer, the one who was prophesied to come from, from the beginning of time, not just to redeem Israel, but to redeem us from our enemies. So let's not give up hope. Whatever, whatever bit of darkness might come over us, whatever, whatever it is, our situation in life, know that God has a great plan for each of us. He has a great plan uh, for, for Mulhuddert. We were, we were talking on Wednesday, um, the men of faith, just about you know, what we can do to reach this area of darkness. And God wants to bring that day spring, be the day spring for, for this area. And it might seem very dark at the moment, but he wants us to be faithful in the morning and the evening sacrifice to offer that incense before him. And he hears it. God hears it. And he wants to encourage us um, that the deliverer, our deliverer is coming. Amen. Father, we thank you for this an amazing story, Lord, of how you are working. You are working, it seemed, in a very dark time, Lord. You worked in a personal tragedy, Lord, um, to herald, herald in uh, your, your, the coming of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray we wouldn't just see these as, as words on a page, Lord, uh, but they would be very real in our lives, Lord, in whatever situation we're in at the moment. 
that we would look to that rising sun and that we, you would give us the grace Lord each day to come and offer our, our incense before your throne in Jesus name Amen Amen Amen